Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning. It is great to see you guys. Welcome to those at our Grovetown campus. Welcome to South Campus, all those watching online, all of you guys at Stevens Creek Road. We are just honored that you're here for week two of a series I've been excited about all summer called Heroes. We're going to explore what really is a hero and how can we be one. And it's maybe not what you had in mind because you don't have to actually wear a cape to do it. Even though from a very young age, I have had a fascination with Superheroes. One of the very first movies I ever remember seeing was the Christopher Reeves version of Superman. Did you guys ever see this one? The student tights flying through the air. I thought that was the coolest thing. And, and, and it coincided with the time in Sunday school where I had learned that if you pray in faith, if you ask God and believing in faith, that he would answer your prayer. And so I didn't have a deep theological grasp of what that meant, but I, meant, I thought it meant this. I went to my backyard. I got up on a rock in my backyard. And one of the first prayers I remember praying is this. I said, Lord, I'm praying this in faith. Help me to fly like Superman. And I jumped off that rock. And you know what happened? I flew. No, I'm just kidding. I fell. I fell. (laughs) So I got a little bit older and I thought, you know what? That's not even real. That dude isn't even real. That's like a green screen behind him. I want like a hero that can like actually fly. So then I ended up with this poster on my wall, right? Remember that? And I was convinced I was going to be able to do that. Like, I, I, I believed it. I believed by faith. One day, I'm going to be soaring through the air, and it's, it's, I'm going to look just like that. Now, the problem is God did not give me those gifts, all right? But it, it, as a young kid, I didn't realize that. I had way too much confidence and not a lot of reality. And so I was convinced I was going to be a baller. And this, this is how this played out. So one day on the playground, um, all the kids were playing, and there were these girls jumping rope around the free throw line. And Jenny was jumping rope. She was one. I thought she was so cute. And I'm like, I'm going to win her heart today. Here's how it's going to happen. I'm going to make a half-court shot. And so I'd never attempted a half-court shot. But I got like way, way back, like beyond where Steph Curry takes his threes. I was like all the way on the half-court line, and I was going to launch it. And in my mind, what was going to happen is it was going to go nothing but net. And Jenny was going to say, who made that shot? And she was going to turn around, and I was going to be just standing on the, on the half-court line, like right here, baby. And I was going to win her. It was a great plan. That's not actually what happened. So what happened is I reached back, and I launched that ball as hard as I could throw it toward the rim. Now, it didn't go to the rim. It went, again, she was standing near the, half, the uh, free throw line, facing another direction, talking to her friends. It went straight to her head. All right? If I would aim for her head 50 times, there's no chance I would have hit it. But the one time I aim for the rim, it goes right to her face, smacks her face. She immediately starts crying. I look around and I run away. Like, I, total coward. To this day, this is the first time I'm admitting it. Jenny, if you're watching, I'm sorry. It wasn't meant to be. Um, I'm happily married. I hope you are as well. But I did not mean to hit you in the head with that ball. So I wasn't going to be Michael Jordan either. And I'm like, well, man, what? There's just no hope. You know, I can't fly. I don't have any athletic ability. But then as I start reading the Bible, I get really encouraged because I see a whole lot of people in the Bible who were screw-ups, people who had messed up, people who had blown it, people who, you know, weren't picked first, you know, on the playground. 
people who, who had a lot of hangups, and yet God was able to use them to do some really remarkable things. And then I read more of the Bible and I realize he's calling all of us to do really remarkable things. And everything that God's given you, every bit of your ability, even the time and place in which you were born is for a unique destiny that he has called you and only you to live out. And if we'll do that, any of us can be heroes. We don't have to dunk a basketball. We don't have to wear a cape. You can be a hero doing what you do. And here's how you do it. If you're following along, taking notes, here's essentially what the Bible tells us a hero is. A hero is anyone who courageously follows God and guides others to do the same. And every week of this series, we're gonna look at scripture and we're gonna look at one amazing man or one amazing woman who were just amazing, but they were still regular people, people who sinned, people who blew it, people who had insecurities. And yet, because of their faith, they courageously followed God and guided others to do the same. And we're gonna learn from their stories. And a verse we're gonna come back to through this series is this one. It says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. So this verse and others like it are telling us, listen, if you want heroes to look up to, look to the people who are living out their faith in Christ in an authentic way and who were part of your journey. Every single one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, one thing we all have in common, there were people in our lives who helped bring us to that decision of faith and who modeled, not in a perfect way, but hopefully in an authentic way, what that looked like. If you grew up in a Christian home, your parents were a huge part of that. If you did not grow up in a Christian home, you had other people in your life who were praying for you. You had coaches and mentors and grandmas. You had friends and teachers. You had people who cared and wanted you to experience all that God had for you. And those people are heroes. So to look to them and say, what can I learn from their life? I'm so thankful now. I'm still impressed by people who can dunk a basketball. I still love watching sports. I, I'm still impressed by watching superhero movies. But the people that I really celebrate are the people in my own life who have taught me something about Jesus, who've lived it out in their own life. I'm more and more, the older I get, thankful for my parents who were so and still are so just real in their faith. Not perfect, but, but real. I'm, I'm thankful for the leaders here at this church. I'm thankful for Pastor Marty and Patty. We've got authentic, real leaders who aren't just great on a stage, but behind the scenes when nobody's watching are humble and kind and, and, and embody so much of what Jesus taught. One time years ago, I, I had like some people over at our house for dinner and Marty and Patty were there. And after dinner was over, I looked and Marty was just gone. You, know, you might not know this about Marty. He, he can be very sneaky, like cat-like. You just look and he's, he's gone. I'm like, did the rapture happen? Because he's gone and I'm here. What's going on? He's gone. So like, where'd Marty go? And, and so a few minutes later, I go into the kitchen looking for something. And in the kitchen by himself, Pastor Marty is doing my dishes. I'm like, Marty, why are you doing dishes? And he was like, oh, I just thought I'd help out. And he was trying to finish them and put them away before anybody would even see him doing it. He just wanted to be like the, like the dish fairy, that you just walk in and the dishes are done and you wonder how it happened and you never know. Uh, he was just trying to do that. He wasn't, he wasn't looking for, for accolades or anything. He was just looking for an opportunity to serve. And Jesus says greatness in the kingdom of God is doing that kind of stuff. It's serving. It's helping others without trying to get accolades or fanfare. And I'm thankful that, that we have a leader here at this church who's like that. I'm thankful for heroes who live out their faith in an authentic way. And today we're gonna to look at one of those heroes from the Bible, his name is Moses. Now Moses was not a perfect guy, but Moses was an extraordinary guy. God was able to do a lot of extraordinary things through him. He's actually the third most mentioned person in the whole Bible. If you did like a Google search of how many times a name pops up, 
Jesus is number one. King David's number two. Moses is number three in the whole Bible. He was a prophet, a leader. He was, uh, he, he was the, the one who led his nation out of slavery into freedom. He was the one to whom God gave the Ten Commandments, the, the handwritten laws by God on those stone tablets that became the foundation for the legal system of nearly every free nation in the world. Like Moses did a lot, but Moses wasn't perfect. He committed a felony. He, uh, you know, he had some deep insecurities. He had some fears. He had some moments where he responded uh, in cowardice instead of faith. But ultimately, he came to a place where he chose to trust God completely. And because of that, God was able to do remarkable things through his life. And we got a lot that we can learn from the hero of Moses. So here's kind of a quick nutshell of Moses' story before we, we dive into to the scriptures. Because the Bible has a lot to say about this guy. So we'll just kind of hit the high points. Moses was born in ancient Egypt thousands of years ago, around 3,500 years ago, in a time when the nation of Israel was a, a nation by race only. They didn't have a land of their own. In fact, they as a nation were enslaved. They were enslaved within the nation of Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation on earth. Their Pharaoh, their king, they looked to as a god, and he ruled with just absolute authority, and he was cruel, so cruel, in fact, that at the time Moses was born, this Pharaoh was getting nervous about the Jewish population growing and that one day they would have an uprising and overtake Egypt, that he made a terrible law that said that the, if any Hebrew baby is born and it's a boy, he's to be killed. We're gonna thin out this population. We're gonna kill all the boys for a while. So I picture Moses' mom just praying for a girl, not, know, not knowing if she's carrying a boy or a girl until the time of delivery, knowing that if it's a boy, that soldiers are gonna come for it. And so she gives birth, and while there's joy, she holds that baby in her arms. She sees that he's a boy, and I just picture her grieving and her desperation. And she hides him as long as she can until she can hide him no longer. And ultimately what she does is make the desperate decision to create a waterproof little boat to send her older daughter, Miriam, Moses' sister, to follow along that raft and to put that raft in the Nile River with Miriam watching from the side and make sure that that boat lands somewhere safe. And by God's design, that little raft went all the way to the Pharaoh's palace and Pharaoh's own daughter plucked that baby out of the river and chose to adopt him as her own son. So Moses had a very unique up upbringing. By race, he was a Jew. He was, he was one of the slaves. But by upbringing, he had been adopted into a family where he was now royalty, an Egyptian prince, the best of everything, the best of education, the best of food, the best of comfort. But when he got old enough to realize who he really was and he saw his people being abused and he realized the people that had, he had called family all this time were the abusers, he had this identity crisis where he couldn't do it any longer and he ultimately rejected, rejected the things of Egypt, decided to identify with, with you know, his, his roots. But in, in that, he wasn't sure where to start because culturally and in everything else, he was, he was still Egyptian. He wasn't sure how to make it work. And so in a moment of frustration and anger, one day he sees an Egyptian guard abusing a Jewish slave and he responds in anger and he actually kills the Egyptian guard. Now he's a murderer. The Jewish people still don't really accept him. They're not impressed by him. They think he's still a traitor. The Egyptians now see him as a murderer. He doesn't know what else to do, so he runs. He flees. He's like, I'm just gonna go live in the wilderness a thousand miles away from all this drama. And he goes deep into the wilderness and he's content to just be homeless. And he ultimately connects with the tribe. He meets a young lady. He gets married. He starts a family and he's living a quiet life as a shepherd, taking care of sheep. 
in the middle of nowhere, and that's the way he likes it. But then God shows up to him in the wilderness, and he's like, Moses, I got a plan for you. I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to free your people. And Moses is not happy with this plan. Have you ever felt like God led you into a plan, and you're like, God, this isn't a good idea? And that's what Moses said to God. He's like, God, this isn't a good idea. Like, I'm a terrible choice. Like, the Egyptians hate me. The Jews hate me. I am a convicted felon. I'm a fugitive. Um, And on top of all of it, I've never led anything. And I have a speech impediment. I'm terrible at public speaking. So literally, Lord, you could throw a dart in a room full of people. And whoever that dart lands on is going to be a better choice than me. I'm out. And God's like, you can almost hear God rolling his eyes in Scripture. Like, Moses, I made you. I picked you. You're the guy. You're going. Moses finally goes. He goes back into Egypt through a, a, a series of miracles and plagues that God brought on Egypt. Eventually, Pharaoh relents, says the people can go. Moses starts leading them out, but then Pharaoh changes his mind. And he says, we're gonna go get those slaves again, leading to this showdown where the Jewish people are backed up against the Red Sea, which is impassable, and the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. God brings a wall of fire temporarily to block the Egyptian army, setting up one of the most famous miracles in the Bible, the parting of the Red Sea, which has been shown in Hollywood for, for years. I remember seeing this movie. How, how many remember Charlton Heston with the, let my people go? You know, what a beard. Like, that beard could part the Red Sea. Like, it's just beautiful. And then years later, an animated movie came out that really captured the imagination of our whole culture. 25 years ago, almost exactly, the, the film The Prince of Egypt was released. And, uh, and it told the story of Moses. And I remember that it got people in all circles of culture talking about the Bible, which I thought was so good. And it was such a great movie. In fact, almost 25 years exactly ago, um, they showed a clip from the movie in church showing that scene, Moses parting the Red Sea. And so for a little bit of nostalgia, because it meant so much to me to see that clip then when I was like, I don't know, freshman in college or something, and to be able to see it again now on the big screen, I'm gonna show you this same clip And then we'll dive back in, look at scripture, and look at the life of Moses. But first, take a few minutes and enjoy this scene. staff you 
shall do. My wonders. The lesson from that miracle is that, that God will always make a way. And sometimes it's a way that we never, ever could have expected before. And I believe he's still parting Red Seas for us in, in both visible and invisible ways to make us have passage to the places that he has for us. So what are some of those practical things that we can learn from the life of Moses? I think there's quite a few of them. Starting with this one, Moses chose to prioritize the freedom of others above his own personal comfort. You know, he had a real defining choice to make as he became a young man. He could continue to live comfortable and just say, listen, you know, I mean, this is, this is my life. I didn't choose to be adopted, but I've got these, these opportunities now to live in comfort and luxury and, and maybe even be a leader in this nation one day, and, and I'm just going to ride this out. He could, he could have had a very bougie life, but instead, he said, I'm going to leave all that behind for the sake of helping those who can't help themselves, the responsibility that he felt. So in other words, he said, I'm gonna give up this temporary pleasure in exchange for something that's permanent, something that will have an eternal impact. And all through life, we get opportunities to make that choice. Am I gonna trade temporary pleasure for permanent regret? Because he knew I could have some temporary pleasure, but at the end of my life looking back, and maybe for all eternity, I would look back and deeply regret that I missed opportunities to do something more with my life. The Bible says it this way, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, most of us in 21st century America will never have to experience just persecution for our faith or by following Jesus, deep, deep pain that, that we get for that. We live in a culture where there's a, a lot of freedom, thankfully, but we still live in a time where there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are experiencing great persecution. And for them, the decision to follow Jesus is one that can change everything. They have to leave a lot of comfort, temporary comfort, to embrace the eternal gifts that God has. One story about that that inspired me recently, I was reading this book earlier this summer, which is a fascinating book. It's called Everything Sad is Untrue. And it's a true story of this family of refugees Daniel Nayari, who is the, the child, the boy in this picture, along with his sister and his mom. And he writes this book from the perspective of him as a child. And here's essentially their story. His mom in Iran, a devout Muslim, became a Christian. Now, she was a highly educated woman. She was actually a doctor, a physician, a very affluent woman in Iran, very respected, very affluent. But she went from reading the Quran every day to being exposed to a Bible. She began to read the Bible 
Jesus just impacted her in a way she never could have expected. She gave her heart and life to Jesus and everything changed. Her husband abandoned her and the children because to be married to a Christian is a great shame. She started being interrogated and hunted by the police. The underground Christian church she was a part of began to be hunted. The, the American pastor who was leading that church was, was ultimately murdered. And she realized, for the sake of my children, I'm gonna have to leave everything I know and love and live as a refugee. And so nobody would help her. The only person initially who would help was this very wealthy prince. And she thought, well, maybe this is an answer to prayer. This local prince invited her family into the palace and he was so kind and so friendly. But then she realized the disgusting reason why he had been so kind. He had invited her family in because he had plans to marry the eight-year-old daughter. He had 30 wives already, I should mention. But if she would only say yes, the family could live in safety and luxury. And of course she said no, and his kindness turned to coldness very quickly. And once again, they were back on their own. And they they lived as refugees, ultimately landing um, in Europe and then ultimately Oklahoma, where they experienced all kinds of hardships and racism and difficulties, but they also experienced the faithfulness of God in ways that only God could provide. And in the book, Daniel, who respects his mom very much, writes a little bit about this. And so instead of me just telling that story, I wanna read some of this in his own words. He talks about his mom. He said, in Iran, if you, commit, if you convert from Islam to Christianity, it's a capital crime. That means if they find you guilty in a religious court, they kill you. So when mom walked out of that room and said she met Jesus, she knew all that. And here's the part that gets hard to believe. When my, my mom knew all that and became a Christian and not just a regular one who keeps... Jesus in their pocket. She fell in love. She wanted everyone to have what she had, to be free, to realize that in other religions you have rules and codes and obligations to follow to earn good things. But here, all you had to do was believe that Jesus is the one who died for you. And she believed. She believed because it's true. It's true more than all the values in Iran. It's true more than $7 million in gold coins or a 1,000 acres of Persian countryside or 10 years of education to get her medical degree and all of her family and her home and the best cream puffs in Jaffa and maybe even your life. My mom would not have made the trade otherwise. If you believe it's true that there's a God and he wants you to believe in him and he sent his son to die for you, then it has to take over your whole life. It has to be worth more than everything else because heaven is waiting on the other side. There's no middle. And if it's not true, she made a giant mistake. But she doesn't think so. She had all that wealth and she's poor now. People spit on her on buses. She's a refugee in places people hate refugees. And she'll tell you it's worth it. Jesus is better. It's true. It's why we're here hiding in Oklahoma. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. This whole story hinges on it. Seema, my mom, was such a fierce Muslim that she marched for the revolution. She studied the Quran in a way very few people do, but she read the Bible and knew in her heart it was true. See, when I read stories like Seema's, I'm reminded that there there are heroes among us, heroes within the body of Christ, the family of Christ, who've made sacrifices that are beyond what most of us in this room will ever have to make for our faith. And yet to her, she wouldn't even call it a sacrifice. As Paul would write, she would count it all joy, everything that she lost for the sake of knowing Christ more. And that challenges me and it inspires me to live with that eternal kind of perspective. Moses did that when he left the comforts of Egypt to risk his own life to really follow God. Moses also did this. Moses chose to obey God's instructions in spite of his own personal insecurities. 
But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not good with words. I never have been. And now, even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who made a person's mouth? Who decides whether they speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear, see or do not hear, see. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. You ever felt unqualified for what God's calling you to do, but you do it anyway? Man, that's heroic. For you guys who are volunteering this week with our kids camp, man, that, that is heroic. I'm convinced that people who volunteer with kids, yes, you can clap for them. You volunteer with kids camp, when you get to heaven, you're in the gated community. That's like, it's like extra treasure for volunteering with the kids. But it's, it's so meaningful. And maybe you feel like that's out of your comfort zone, but you did it anyway. You took time off work to do it. Man, that's, that's heroic. God's always calling us in little ways and in big ways to step outside of our comfort zone. So what is that thing in your life that fear is the only thing holding you back from doing it? Maybe it's, it's going back to school or it's you know, leading a small group or it could be a million things and you're like, oh, but I'm not qualified or I, I, I wouldn't make it. Trust God with that thing and you'll be amazed at what he does with you and how your faith will grow. Moses did this. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So Moses said, I, this might be humiliating. They might laugh at me. I might fall flat on my face. But people's temporary praise or temporary criticism is nothing compared to the gift of just being faithful to what God has called me to do. And so, yeah, with my imperfect speech and with my tainted record, I'm gonna go back to a place that's kind of humiliating for me to go, but I'm gonna trust that God is with me. And God was with him. Moses also did this. Moses chose to confront earthly power by trusting in God's power. You remember the Pharaoh was considered a God. People were terrified of him. They thought that he had supernatural power. But once Moses met the God who really does have supernatural power, he looked at Pharaoh and realized that's just a dude with makeup on. Like that is nothing to be scared of. I'm not scared of the Pharaoh anymore. And I can confront him and I can look him in his eyes and I can know that my God is so much bigger than him and the power he represents. The Bible says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw God, like he, he knew that God was real. His relationship with God was so central to his life. He knew, knew there's nothing this guy can take away from me, nothing Pharaoh can take. He can take my very life. He can stab me through the heart and he hasn't really taken anything because then I'm with God forever. So I'm gonna live my life fearlessly knowing that God's with me. It doesn't mean it's always gonna be comfortable. It doesn't mean it's always gonna be easy. But I know that every struggle I ever face in this life is a temporary struggle, and every joy I'll ever have is going to be an eternal one. And I wanna live with that perspective, and I wanna teach those around me to live with that perspective. And he did. Finally, Moses did this. Moses chose to value God's law above people's opinions. People have opinions. Like, I just got back from a road trip with my family, and like, I've, I've got four kids, and they all have strong opinions, and after a few hours in a minivan, like you just get tired of hearing all the opinions. Sometimes you just cave in a little bit just to make it stop, but, but you, just, you just want the whining to stop sometimes, right? So Moses had thousands and thousands of children, basically. The, the whole nation of Israel, they all griped about everything that he did. Like 
And he got to a place where he's like, listen, I care about you guys, but your opinions don't really matter to me because I only have to please one, and it's God. And he's shown me what to do, and I'm gonna do it, and, and I'm gonna do it the best I can, but if you have a problem, it's not really with me, it's, it's with God. So he did what God called him to do, even when it didn't make sense to him, he did it. Here's one of the things he did that didn't make sense to him, but he did. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Now, what this is referring to, the final plague, is Pharaoh just would not relent. He would just not relent. And so God essentially brought back the plague on Pharaoh that Pharaoh had brought to the Jewish people as he had killed the firstborn son of the Jews God said, because you will not relent, that's gonna be the final plague here. Like the firstborn in every household, the angel of death is gonna come and is gonna end their life. He said, however, anybody who has lamb's blood over their doorpost, the angel of death will pass by that house and everyone inside will be saved. Now that made no sense to Moses. It didn't make any sense at all, but he's like, what does this blood have to do with anything? Now what Moses didn't know is that he was part of a much greater story as all of us are. And everything he was doing was foreshadowing what God was ultimately gonna do through Jesus Christ, his son, the lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And it's by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that death is spared of all of us. The eternal death we deserve, the penalty for our sin. We don't earn our way into heaven, but we just claim the blood of Jesus that was shed for us and put our whole faith and hope in him. And that's what saves us because Jesus has already done all the work. And this was pointing toward that. And because Moses just said, okay, Lord, I don't understand this, but you've asked me to do it. He was part of that story. The whole Bible was pointing to Jesus and what Jesus was ultimately going to do for us. And he just said yes to God. Sometimes God's gonna call you to do things that don't seem to make sense at the time, to opportunities that don't seem to make sense, to to responsibilities that don't make sense. But if you'll faithfully step into that moment, you'll be amazed at what God has done. Now, all of this that I've read has been from a chapter in in the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, now looking back and celebrating heroes of faith. But it it ends with this. It it ends talking about us, which I think is so cool. So these, talking about Moses and all these other heroes of faith, many of them we'll talk about in the coming weeks, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had been planning something better for us that only together with us would be made perfect. So what the Bible's saying is, as cool as Moses' story is and all these other people's stories are, we're part of that same story. So their story isn't even finished until all of our stories are finished because God's writing one unified story from beginning to end through all of his people. And you and I have a unique role in that story right now. God could have let you be born in any time, in any place in all of human history, and you were born for this time, for this place, because God has a unique plan for you. And you might look at yourself and say like, well, what can God really do with me? Like, I don't, I don't have you know, this skill or that skill. Maybe you're like Moses. God, what can you do with me? I don't feel like I'm a leader. I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this or that. With every single one of us, God is calling us to make an impact right where we are, in our home, in our family, in our job. And I think what holds some of us back is maybe what held Moses back. Like I've disqualified myself because of the mistakes that I've made. I, I, I ran away when I should have been brave. I committed a crime. You know, like Moses could have said all of those things. Like all I can hope for now is just to live a quiet life here in the wilderness and, and, and keep my head down and, and maybe that'll be enough. And God is saying, no, I brought you to the wilderness to help prepare you 
for this next chapter. And no matter what you've done in the past, it doesn't disqualify you from what God wants to do with you and through you right now in this season. And I was reminded of this just last Sunday. Last Sunday, I was preaching at a friend's church out of town and I, I called an, an Uber to get a ride to this church. And the guy picked me up and we started talking. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to church. I, I'm, you know, I had my Bible with me. He said, I said, um, I'm, I'm gonna be preaching at a friend's church. And he said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, I used to preach too. And we started talking and he shared this story with me. He said, yeah, you know, the, the biggest regret of my life. He said, I, I was a pastor, a pastor of a large church and I made the worst decision of my life years ago. I, I fell into an affair and it ultimately cost me, you know, that, that ministry that I wasn't able to stay there and keep ministering the way that I had. And for a long time, I felt like God couldn't do anything with me, that I was just completely disqualified from doing anything at all for God. But then it was like over time, as I started to heal, as I really got right with the Lord, as I repented, as I experienced his grace like I never had before, felt like he was saying to me, listen, there are so many people that won't step foot into a church that need a message of grace, a message that you're so qualified to give. And I'm like, well, Lord, I don't know how to reach him. And I felt like he gave me the opportunity. I drive and I've driven thousands of people. And he said, and I got my Bible right here in the front seat. And I talked to him about life and I talked to him about grace and my own mistakes and what I've learned and how God is faithful and God is good. I've cried with people, I've prayed with people. I've heard stories that you wouldn't believe. Stories from people that have never set foot in a church, but I feel like they were able to experience Jesus right here in this old Honda. Because I simply said, Lord, use me. Use my brokenness, use my pain, use my past. Let it be a testimony to give hope to somebody else. And I got out of that car and I had experienced the sermon much better than what I was about to go and preach. Because here is a guy Here's a guy that said, Lord, as much time as I have, right where I am, I might not be preaching sermons on a stage, but I can change one life at a time. And in so many ways, that's so much more powerful than any sermon from a stage could ever be. God, use me. And I don't know what it is in your past, in your life that you feel like has maybe disqualified you or what lack of skill or what sin or whatever, what words that were spoken to you that you believed that were untrue, limiting you. But the truth is God loves you. He has a plan for you. Jesus has paid the price for you. And there is a destiny that God has for your life that is a heroic destiny for you to courageously follow God and guide others to do the same, starting right where you are. And so it's my prayer for each one of us that, Lord, we would just be open to that, open to what God has for us, because God has an extraordinary plan for your life. And don't settle for anything less than that. I wanna pray for us. I wanna pray for those of us who are maybe struggling with the decision right now of what should be next, praying for those of us who are letting fear or regret hold us back from our destiny. And I also wanna pray specifically for those who've never made the first and most important decision of your life, which is to invite Jesus in to be your Savior and Lord. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the heroes who've gone before us as imperfect as they are to give us examples to follow. And thank you, Jesus, for your perfect example. Thank you that you lived a perfect life, died a death on a cross, shedding your blood for, the, for our sins so that we could be made right with you forever. For anyone here today who has not received you as their savior, let today be the day that they pray, Jesus, save me. Make me the person I was meant to be. Forgive me of the way I've lived. Help me to live my life for your glory. 
And for all of us, Lord, we commit or recommit our lives today into your hands. God, make us the people we were meant to be, courageously following you and leading others to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, thank you so, so much for being here. Before we dismiss, a couple quick announcements. Number one, don't forget, kids camp this week. Uh, It's gonna be an amazing week. If you're volunteering, thank you. If you're not, be praying that God's gonna do something very special in the coming weeks between our kids camp and youth camp. We believe God has got great plans uh, for all of our, our students, all of our kids to encounter God in a fresh way. Stop by in the atrium on your way out, Lee University. Weren't these guys amazing today, by the way? Just incredible. So good. They're gonna be out in the atrium. They would love to talk with you. Give them a high five. Thank them for being here. They're working hard all summer just to to bless people the way they've blessed us. And if you have a student or are a student who are interested in learning more about Lee University, they would love to talk to you about that as well. Guys, thank you for being here. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.